My father has a tendency occasionally to be slightly pessimistic, just slightly pessimistic. And he was also a collector of maxims and pithy sayings. You know, if something good comes along, one of his favorite statements is, oh, well that's better than the, a poke in the eye with a sharp stick. We love hearing my father's maxims. One of his is, no good deed deserves to go unpunished. If, if you'll forgive me, I'll tell you a favorite preaching story of mine that I've told you at least four times before. So I know I've told you this before, and I intend to tell it to you one more time. You remember the story of the man who's driving down the street with his wife and two daughters in the back seat. And as they're driving down, a squirrel comes running up from the side of the road and pounces into the side of the car and now is laying on the side of the car, slightly dazed, but basically uninjured. When the girls in the back seat start shouting, Daddy, Daddy, a squirrel hit us. And he goes, I know. He goes, stop it, help the squirrel, help the squirrel. And he's reluctant, but he knows there'll be no peace till he does. And so he pulls the car over, goes to the trunk, gets out an umbrella, and with the handle of the umbrella, tries to roll the squirrel off from the white line off to the side so he can get away. And so as he's rolling it off to the side, the squirrel comes to himself, jumps up, and bites him on the hand. At which moment, he takes the umbrella, hits the squirrel, and kills it. This is someone who's lost sight of the mission. Right? It's easy, to lose, it's easy to lose sight of the mission in the midst of difficult times. It's no fun to suffer for doing good, right? But that happens, it happens sometimes. We know it happens because Jesus is our example and we have a cross at the front of the sanctuary and so we always know that suffering for doing good is within the realm of possibilities for all Christians. So how do, we, how do we embrace that and respond in ways that are appropriate? I'd like to, to draw your attention to 1 Peter 3, beginning with verse eight. And I'm gonna sort of chop this up into a few chunks this morning. 1 Peter 3.8, finally all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. These are difficult words. These are difficult verses. At times, I lose patience or get angry with people who take advantage of the hard work I do to assist them. And sometimes I pay back that kindness with frustration or anger. I sort of expect people to be grateful when I've worked on their behalf. But as you know, 
That doesn't always happen, does it? There are people who are not grateful when you help them. And then there are other people, there are other categories where regardless of what you do, folks are just plain mean and cantankerous and belligerent. You and I, we've, we've gotten chewed up in recent days, sometimes when we didn't deserve it. I'd probably need to insert a disclaimer here. Nothing I'm going to say today applies in those areas where you get chewed up and you did deserve it, right? Because when you're nasty and there are consequences of your nastiness, you're reaping what you've sown. That's one of the laws of scripture, right? We reap what we sow. And if you sow nastiness, you ought to expect nastiness. And when you sow nastiness, you understand that you repent and you ask forgiveness and you make restitution, right? That's the process when the fault is yours for the problem. But I wish I could say that the only time you're going to reap nastiness is when you've sown it, okay? There's a whole other category of stuff where you're gonna reap nastiness when you've sown goodness, okay? And that won't be because of the, that will not be because of the seed you've sown, that will be because of the ground in which you've sown it. And Jesus is addressing this through Peter uh, for us today. It's easy to be Christ-like and gracious when everything is easy, things are going smoothly, but how about when they're not? When you have desperate choices, when you're suffering, when you're afraid, or when you've been ill-used? I think I think in actuality, um, this, this sermon is rather short and simple. The very next words in the passage are, in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. That's it in a nutshell. Some, some transis, translations say, sanctify Christ as Lord. And, and the, the meaning is, in your heart, set apart Christ as your master, okay? So that, so that your heart is continually understanding that Jesus is Lord, implying your Lord, implying your superior officer, implying you understand you have to do whatever he tells you to do. That, that's really what this passage is simply saying. Make your heart into an altar where Christ is honored as complete master. Devote yourself to his obedience. When you do that, you will no longer have internal permission to return evil for evil. When you are insulted, you will be instructed to turn the other cheek. You won't lash out when treated poorly. I am so awful bad at this at times. Even if my lashing out isn't verbal and immediate, my mind goes there. Doesn't yours at times? 
How do they have the guts to say that to me? I just did X, Y, Z, A, B, C, and D. And they're going to... We may have learned the pattern to not respond verbally or in anger. Maybe we haven't done that perfectly either. But somewhere in our hearts, when Jesus Christ is established as Lord, these kinds of behaviors come under restriction. If we consciously and with effort understand Christ to be Lord in us. I get angry when I think I'm being ill-used. Ask my wife, she'll tell you it's true. We talk about it from time to time. I complain, not necessarily at the person, but I'll tell my wife how I feel inside. And I wish I did better at that. I'm pledging myself to do better at that, to to expect to be ill-used, to remember that my master was ill-used and that he returned kindness and graciousness and blessing when ill-used. I think this is the fundamental problem. Unless we take this instruction, revere Christ as Lord in your heart, we, we begin to forget who we belong to. Unless in our hearts, in, our very, in the very center of who we are, we, we revere Jesus as Lord, we don't develop the kind of patterns and habits that should naturally spring from that kind of understanding. I'm, I'm confident that when we consistently day after day, issue by issue, revere Christ as Lord and understand our need to submit to him that it will change us. Now, now you and I understand that the transforming grace of God is a full, large, sweeping things. There's so many categories involved in it. And we're gonna do better in some areas and not so good in other areas and, and we're going to ask the Spirit to help us in all those areas. So some of us will do really great at this patience thing, and some will do better at the discipline thing, and some will do better at the forgiving thing, but we're all growing in all of these areas if in our hearts we revere Christ as Lord and understand ourselves to actually be under his authority. To be under the authority of Christ means you just aren't free to spout off. You aren't free to bequeath a piece of your mind to anyone who seems to need it. The choice to revere Christ as Lord governs your words and your actions. This is what one author writes about this passage. Peter addresses all believers, commanding Christians to be unified and to refuse to seek revenge when wronged. Peter quotes from both David and Isaiah to show 
that God's people have always been called to reject evil and to do good. This is true even when we are suffering. In fact, it may be God's will for his people to suffer in part to demonstrate his power. Our good example can convict others into repentance. Christ too suffered, died, and was resurrected and ascended to power and authority in heaven. That's what verse 15 is saying. In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. This author and others are suggesting that if you actually do this, if you actually allow all of your behavior and responses to be shaped by the fact that you report to Christ and that he is your master, then, then your unpredictable responses to life will catch the attention of others. You understand what I mean by unpredictable responses to life. It's just assumed so that if someone attacks you, you'll respond in anger. It's just assumed that if someone gossips about you, you'll respond with salacious stuff back. It's just assumed if someone mistreats you at work that you'll be anger, angry and harbor resentment and spread that around. And when you don't return evil for evil, which is the way of the world, okay? When you don't respond in predictable patterns, well then people wonder why. What, why is it that you're gracious when I would have anticipated anger? Why is it that you're patient when I would have expected impatience? Why when you're suffering aren't you lashing out like a wounded animal? Why, why, are, you, why are you different? That's the central part of this passage, you understand. Why are you different? Because if you're not different, then Jesus is not Lord, and the outgrowth of your Christianity has no impact on those around you. So, so you must be different. This faith of yours in Christ, this obedience to Christ, must issue forth in different responses, different loyalties, different ministries, different, different outgrowths. And it's the difference that folks look at and say, why is, why is that? Maybe, maybe you've heard someone say it in one of your circles. You see a superior yelling at a subordinate and you wonder why they're yelling and the answer they give is, well, this individual only responds if you yell at him. And so I have to yell at him to get through to him. Well, that's not our way. That's not the way of Christ to yell. You'll be noticeable by not yelling. You'll be noticeable by not repaying evil with evil. And when the difference is noticed, you will be prepared, right? Isn't what this passage goes on to say? When, when anyone notices 
the difference, you'll be prepared. In order to acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord, he's Lord of not only our actions, he's Lord of our preparation, okay? And so that means he has the right to give you assignments, that you should take them seriously and do what he gives you to do. And this is what Peter says. Continuing on in 1 Peter. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Verse 16, keeping a clear conscience so, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Do you see how this fits together? Peter's telling us that our conduct in Christ is transforming. And if we have honestly decided in our hearts to do whatever it is Christ calls us to do, that's step one. Some of us aren't completely sure we want to do everything that Christ calls us to do. And if you haven't made that decision, none of the rest makes any sense. But if you have, if by the grace of God and the presence of the Holy Spirit, you have honestly decided to do whatever it is that Christ calls you to do, to live after his pattern, to take seriously this notion of following Christ, then when someone notices, Peter says, you have to be ready always to give the reason for the hope that's in you. And so, so really I have a simple question to ask. Are you ready to articulate that? Are you ready to give that reason? So if I walk up to you after the service and I say to you, you know, hey buddy, why is it you have hope in Christ? You have an answer ready to go in your mind that you can give me immediately for why your confidence is in Christ and how the presence of Christ in you makes a difference. I don't know what you did when you were in school preparing for exams. This is what I did. When I knew I was going into a difficult examination where there were going to be essay questions on the history exam, I would sit down with my buddies, we would talk, and we'd say, given the material we covered, what might this professor ask us? And we'd, we'd chart out 10 or 20 likely questions we would get from World War II history. Then we'd divide them up and we'd answer them. And then we would read one another the answers. And then we would distill those answers into a little list of four or five bullet points that we thought were the most significant things to say if we were asked that question. It made exam taking rather easy because we had prepared well as a team. We'd helped each other prepare and we already had in our mind an outline of where we were gonna go and how we would start to write if we got asked a question. And you can see the smiles on our faces during the exam if when we opened the test booklet and at least there were three options of questions we had guessed, 
right? Because then the stress is gone at that point. You just give the answer that you've prepared in advance. And Peter tells us, always be prepared in season and out to give the reason for the hope that lives in you. And I wanna know, are you prepared to answer that question when it comes? Because if Jesus is Lord, people will notice the difference in your behavior. And when they say, why is your behavior different? You shouldn't be going like, there should be a reason that you've prepared to give, that you're ready and anxious to give. So as you know, Nancy and I are leaving on sabbatical. This is me issuing homework. When we come back at the end of August, I'm asking for those answers. Just putting you on notice now. You've got the summer. You know the question. What's the reason for the hope that's in you? Why do you respond differently? What does it mean to have Jesus as master in your heart? I'm gonna ask that question as many times as I can. And, and I'm gonna expect you to be able to answer that. Not because it's my homework assignment. It's the assignment of the word of God to you. Be prepared in season and out. I was sitting with Vi Cheeseman this week. We were talking. I asked about her testimony. This is what she said. She didn't speak, she sang. She sang, he's everything to me. From sin he sets me free. His peace and love my portion through all eternity. He's everything to me. And she hit this next note. More than I dreamed could be. Oh, praise his name forever. He's everything to me. That's a pretty good answer at 104, almost 105. A deep-seated trust that God has been faithful to her across a long, long life. I'm gonna invite us to sing a song in closing tonight, uh, this morning, Blessed Assurance. And the, the verse, as you know, goes, this is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. And I would encourage you to, if you haven't established Jesus as master in your heart, if you haven't sanctified Christ as Lord in your heart, make the decision to do whatever he calls you to do. That's step one. And then begin considering how you're going to prepare to give the reason for the hope that is in you. You have 10 weeks to get it tight, 
Write it out. Get the bullet points condensed so that you can give the response. But get prepared because it's my prayer, not that you'll be able to tell me, but that the people who see the difference in your life will be the recipients of your story. Would you stand with me while we sing Blessed Assurance together? Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. Born of his spirit, washed in his blood. This is my story, this is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Perfect submission, perfect delight. Visions of rapture now burst on my sight. Angels descending greet from above. Echoes of mercy, whispers of love. This is my story, this is my song. Submission, all is at rest. I in my Savior am happy and blessed. Watching and waiting, looking above, filled with His goodness, lost in His love. This is my the doxology together as our benediction. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.
Ghost. Amen. Go in peace.